I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm John McKenzie, and I'm joined by my co-host David Anderson, and we're joined by a special guest, Jake Newman, in a Beast Tactical, Bees Analytica, all stats, aren't we, com- convoluted midfield mashup. Nobody knows who is supposed to hold us together. We all want to play as roaming eights, and as a result, we all get caught out making as many disturbing fouls as Connor Hurrihan. David. How are you doing? Hey, John. Yeah, really good. Thank you. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, really good. It's um, it's fun to be back and we're, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently today. So I'm interested to see how that pans out. Uh, Jake, it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. That's nice to finally get on to another chat finally after all this time. And it's been, we've, been, we've been pinging DMs around for the last couple of weeks now. So it's good to have a chat and get on to have a look at this Brentford side now. Because I know on both yeah. our podcasts, we normally got running in Leeds fans either side. So... We can finally have that Brentford chat. Yeah, it'll be great to, to as, as we say, get under the bonnet of uh, everything at, at Brentford. David? I'll introduce Jake quickly and just get Jake to say a few hellos and just who he is and yeah, maybe talk about his channel quickly and what he's trying to do and, um, yeah, his podcast. I know he's had a big day today. <laughs> no friendship. No, I've, yeah, basically the account for me, I've always seen it as a digital portfolio for me. I've, I'm currently in industry with an NFL club, so an interning as part of my degree. So I kind of just put anything and everything on there just to showcase what I can do. So if, in, if I come to an interview stage at some point, hopefully in my career, there is a whole host of different things on there that can show. It just happens to have a Brentford spinners who I support and everything on that account I can do. And hopefully at some point in the future, that will hold me in good stead for a future career path and analysis. But... That's all it has ever been, and it's just spiralled. And I've all I always prefer talking, and you won't shut me up if you get me started. So I like I rather just talk it through for a podcast, and then I write an article or something like that. So that's how that was born. And I happen to have a friend that works in finance in an EFL club, a journalist friend that's working with football clubs and with different press offices. So we kind of all just brought ourselves together just to have a chat about football from our different views, and it's great. So we've had a few guests on so far, so hopefully it can keep going from strength to strength at the moment yeah great stuff well yeah i really enjoy it mate it's um it's great stuff it's called bees analytica 
for anybody that didn't know, but it's not Brentford specific at all. It's more of a wider look at the AFL and uh, a little bit of a more um, delve into coaching and analysis and um, what basically what gets people to where they are sort of from an interview perspective as well, which is really fun. So it's it's good. Yeah, I, I recommend people check it out. And um, yeah, you'll definitely enjoy it. There's, there's a great guest coming up on the next one. I won't um, drop any names just in case people listen to this beforehand, but you probably know who it is by now. But um, yeah, a rather exciting guest coming up next. Yeah, so as you were mentioning, John, yeah, slightly different month this month because there weren't many games. Um, what we're going to do, and I did a couple of previews with some awesome guys like the two Bens, uh, Ben Church and um, Luton Ben, and did a bit with Nathan as well. We're just going to talk a little bit briefly about the games and then a bit more of a, just a bit more of an open discussion about the transfer window and um, uh, sort of where Brentford are as a bit of a snapshot. And then, um, yeah, just a bit of a thought experiment on the future and what um, what the future might hold for uh, for some of the squad and um, yeah their next steps and our next steps because we we kind of know now we're locked in and we can see that this is the squad we're we're firstly going towards the end of the season with but some of them are tied down to fairly long deals so yeah they they could be they could be stepping foot in the Premier League who knows so let's begin then with just a, a brief discussion of what happened in January uh, as you mentioned it was a bit of a weird month. Uh, Brentford didn't play a league game until the 20th and they only had three league games and um, they put up two wins and one draw. Uh, that draw being a, a bit of a disappointment really against against the Swansea side who I think were down to 10 men. Um, you also had two cup defeats to Premier League opposition as well. Um, looking at the form table, I mean it's hard again hard to read this because Brentford have a, a game fewer pretty much than everyone I think apart from maybe Wickham. Um, but it's it's pretty hard to judge anything on the on the basis of 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 this month really in terms of what's going on um how do you feel about the month as a whole david we'll start with you um was this was this just a case of uh, it being a bit of a weird month having those two premier league games uh, games against premier league sides i should say where um in, in the cups and then sort of everything being a bit bitty or or are you coming out of this and just saying you know two wins and a draw is fine yeah, I think the the end result of the process is fine. Yeah, just two wins and a draw. That's that's all fine. But as a as a month for momentum and um, with the cancelled games and uh, moving around and um, this, there being cup games at the beginning, it has felt like a strange month. Um, yeah, very weird. Like seeing some people play five games, Brentford have only played three, so you can't really get much from like a January league table. It's not going to tell you anything because it's and sort of seeing what Wickham only play two league matches. It's all a bit weird. Um, but as a, as a whole, I think it went okay. The Swansea result was probably one we might focus on a little bit more because uh, we completely annihilated Swansea across the 90 minutes. They did nothing in attack at all. Um, they were pinned back. Uh, they had two shots of game and one of them was a cross where Conor Hurahan... Well, they, they kind of claimed that they saw this great analyst moment where they spotted something about Rare's positioning and said that because this sort of overhit cross just curled straight in, that... Um, the spies have been out and they've worked it out when really Hurahenge is putting it into an area and um, Ray has been fouled by Bidwell and he's missed it. And the way they celebrated it, it was like they'd uh, they'd just got one promotion to the Premier League. But yeah, that was one of only two shots they had all game. Um, and yeah, tactically, they just looked pretty bereft of any ideas getting forward. There was no possession. They couldn't build up in the middles. There was nothing out wide. They they really basically struggled to retain the ball at all, let alone build any pressure. So that was a frustrating draw. Um, yeah, Jake, do you have anything on that that you sort of sort of, of note that you you sort of wanted to add? Yeah, no, that whole Raya situation. There seems to be a pattern in developing. The last three games we've seen it with Raya, and I'll be beaten from a, or 
will beat them from a set piece. I think every team tries to box out the keeper to stop him getting out. It's pretty standard, and especially for a keeper of Reyes' height, who's only just six foot, he's not that tall. He's not going to get to the ball. But I think that I think it was last night's game at Bristol. Pinnock being beaten at the back post is just criminal as a centre half. Like I think our defensive set plays, we try to go man for man and zone and a bit of zonal, but don't really do either. I'd rather see us commit to a system and just do it. If we were to go full, fully man for man, I think we'd be a lot more successful. That I know. I think Stuart from the wing did a brilliant thing about Premier League systems, and there's not really much of a difference. But you have to commit. And allowing three runners onto our back post, Wickham did it and exploited it because Raya got a bit static and didn't come really for it and then got beat at the back post. Swansea put it into a good area and Raya got boxed off so couldn't get to it. So our centre-back and lost the centre-backs lost the first contact or didn't make contact. And then last night again, Bristol did it perfectly, put it to the back post, Raya's flat-footed, beat our static centre-backs at the back post and we've conceded again. I think it's just one of them things. It happens, and it's a shame it's happened three times in a row, so people think patterns have come out. If it had happened across ten games and once in each, or one every three or four games, we wouldn't speak about it as much. But questions do have to be asked to the positioning of Rare, and how can we get him free? How can we stop people like Bidwell getting elbows up and getting into his face to stop his jumping notion? You know, and I think that comes from can we get our centre halves on the ball? Matt Specs by no means a slouch. He's not small. Ethan Pinnock is no mean by no means small. We have two Antony to be fair, who's brilliant at the front post. We have three players there that are very good attacking the ball. Can we get them free? Can we get them attacking it and to try and limit the damage on Raya? You know, it's, it's it's an odd one. I think I totally agree with your points on the Swansea game. It, it says a lot about our form if we're coming out disappointed with two two wins and a draw. It, that we should have probably been free. Swansea didn't offer much at all. And I've watched them play Reading the other week before that and they looked incredible. So they're proper mixed bag. And I'm, it's that inconsistency with a young side, isn't it? And Cooper getting these young players all fired up. And one week they'll be brilliant. Next week they're probably not. I think... That's, that's, that's where they're at at the moment, I think, Swansea-wise. I think they look good. Not top two material. Top six, potentially, if they can keep a good run of form going. But, yeah, bees for wise, I'm happy with the month. It's, you know, you, how can you not be? Two undefeated in the league. Took Last two years was a bit of a battering for our B team. And then the Spurs result was a difficult one to take because it could have been one all and 11 men on the pitch and another situation so we can't be too disappointed with ourselves it's interesting to hear what you're saying about about you thinking that swansea are going to drop away um i guess my question to you guys would be who are you considering to be your main um opponents now in the race for for the the the, well i guess promotion um obviously norwich are are flying at the top of the table um i think the underlying numbers suggest that brentford probably should be top of the table um the question then is like who are the, who are the teams immediately following you that you think are going to put the challenges in here? And we've got Reading, Swansea obviously just below you, Reading, Watford, Bournemouth, Middlesbrough. Which of those teams are you expecting the challenge to come from, Jake? For us, I think our expected numbers will always be massively inflated because of the way we play, we play to the percentages, the the high or the high value shot areas, and it will naturally just inflate it. Um, I personally think. Top two is obviously the aim, and we're looking at the Premier League ones that have dropped off your Watfords, your Norwiches, your Bournemouths, as they're the strongest squads in the league. 
And I think we're pretty. I would be pretty confident saying we should get top six this season with where we are now. And I don't think it will change much. There'll be that one or two teams that maybe make a late run at it. Your Burrows, your Stokes, your Blackburn might make a run at it. But I think the top six now is pretty consistent. And we should be looking up and how can we solidify that top two position. I definitely think Bournemouth, obviously, with Tyndall being sacked now, are going to go on a run of form and pick, it, pick up some points again. I think Watford are one of them teams that are just coasting at the moment and late game of the season, they're all going to be putting pressure on again. And I just think Norwich are probably arguably the best team in the league by a country mile. And I think if we can get near Norwich and keep it tight, I think anything could happen. But yeah, it's one of them. I think I think the top six is pretty settled right now, unless there's one or two that potentially make a run at it late on, like most seasons. But I don't, I don't see who that will come from. How about you, David? How how are you looking at the run to the Premier League? Uh, yeah, fairly similar, I'd say. I, th- I think. Yeah, Jake's probably right to identify Norwich as a bit of a standout outlier and then the rest are probably between it's probably between us, Watford and Bournemouth just behind that for sort of squads and consistency over a league. I think Reading have got some some talent in there that can um propel them into a bit of a race, but I don't think they'll have enough for the top two or three. But yeah, I think it's probably the top automatic spaces I reckon would probably be boxed off between us, Watford and Norwich. And I think I think Watford are a bit too a bit too sort of defensive minded to have enough at the other end to score. I don't think they create enough and I don't think they'll do enough consistently. So it it's really it's looking towards us and Norwich. But yeah, it's a lot can happen and there's a lot of games and we've just seen like Josh De Silva's been out for a game, just gone. Um, if anything happens to Tony, we we look like a different team already. So there's there's still a lot to play, and there's so many games. We're only really halfway through a season. It's re- it's it's still difficult to to uh, to predict who's going to do what. But yeah, Norwich and us, I think, are the are the front runners. The outlier game of this month was obviously the the Wickham Wanderers game, which it was a game that I didn't watch, but I I have notifications for Brentford on my phone, and uh, my phone just went wild in that second half. Um, David, talk us through that game. How are you reading that game? Looking back on it, is it is it just a wild outlier, or um, is there anything that you can learn from from a performance like that? Things to learn, yes. Um, it was just chaos. I, th- I think um, one of the other questions we might get if, um, a bit later on is um, our teams. Our teams trying to have teams worked us out a little bit now. I think you've seen a lot of teams sit back against Brentford and soak up pressure and not really get anywhere. But I think now there's a slight shift where teams are thinking actually Brentford starts so well and control the game from start to finish. Why don't we just try and disrupt that first? 10, 15 minutes of the game and teams are maybe attacking us a bit more now. But Watford just got the ball really... Uh, sorry, Wickham got the ball forward really quickly. Um, we couldn't cope with them in the wide areas. They put crosses in, they got it forward to Ikpiezu and yeah, the, a couple of their early goals were quite fortunate goals. The curl went in from the edge of the box and then what we've spoken about, a set piece. Um, but we looked rattled and we couldn't stop We couldn't stop this um, sort of onslaught. And without uh, Janelle starting, without Norgard, we looked really open in that defensive midfield area. No one could get out wide. Fossu was caught in between, sort of coming out wide to press the, the winger. He was, he's not quite Mbemo defensively. So we were open on the wings. It, it was just, it wasn't a good start. And I think there might be something there where teams are thinking, right, let's go for this in the first phases. Let's not wait for Brentford to get into their rhythm. Actually, let's get at them and affect this game. And, and Wickham did that really well. The, what went on after we equalised and sort of steadied the ship was just us exploiting their, they're quite, they play quite high. Like they're, they're, they're not a team that sits deep. They play over a really high line and they don't put 
enough pressure on the ball to play that higher line and there's just space in behind and Tony had a great day in the end um there's just so many one-on-one situations and just like last man defenders and they weren't really they're not really good enough to play like that and I think they've been caught out a few times this season but it's what Ainsworth it looks like it's what Ainsworth wants to do he doesn't want to just be sit back and passive he wants them to impact games and Unfortunately for them, you, if you do that against Brentford, you're going to come up against a good team and you are going to get hit for seven every now and again. That's this, this potentially could happen. So it was a good day for us. I think there are things to learn, that, um, especially in defensive midfield. We need to we need to think about what we're doing there. I'm not sure Jensen's uh, strong enough there. But yeah, definitely lots to learn and um, a crazy, crazy game. Yeah, losing 7-2 every once in a while sounds very familiar to, to a Leeds fan like me. Um <laughs> Jay, did you want to add anything about the the Wickham game? What stood out for you from that game? See, I'm good. I come out from an opposite end of day, Dave's point of view. I don't think the defensive midfield was an issue as such. I don't think. I think we were trying to um, block them off and stop them playing in these wide areas but because of the shape we play as the four three three. We're quite narrow, particularly, and when we're left, when we isolate our fullbacks one on one or two v one, there are issues come. And I think that was what was happening is Fosu and Kranos weren't necessarily tucking in as much, which meant our centre mids would have to split to try and negate the overload, which would then leave us exploited through that middle area, which meant Jensen was covering acres on his own. So it was kind of that balance of we needed our percent of our wingers, sorry, had to tuck back in properly. We had to get our centre mids narrowing on the inside, and then that would make it better for Jensen. I don't believe into the theory and I don't agree with it that you're not changed the game personally I think that one point Dave brought up brilliantly was the high line we've, we've ex- exploited that ruthlessly in behind, Tony was brilliant at getting himself in behind and getting space and I think we instead of just aiming balls forward to Silva was getting on it and driving forward, Jensen was bringing it out and it that opens the game up, we could have to then press you which then leaves the space in behind as we mentioned for me, I think we've already spoken about the set place, and I think Epeze's goal was just a good goal. Obviously, Godas could have probably made a challenge in there. Jensen could have probably made one. Dalsgaard could have made one. You know, things happen. He just scored a really, really good goal. Reyes was a bit flat-footed and should have been on his toes to get across him. I think Jensen's a lot of a neater player than you know, and Sawyer's who used to play that role is just technically very good. And when we come on to that about the Premier League stuff in a minute, I'll bring it up again. But I think with Jensen, that's the point for me. He's just very good. He controls the game very well. And I think the issue he had was he was just defending so much space because we were trying to be expansive because Wickham aren't, and no offence to Wickham, just aren't a strong team in this division. And we thought that it would probably be a bit of a pushover, nice and easy. And get easy three points second half I think they looked a lot better obviously Frank probably said a few stern words if we're going with cliches and brought up space in behind and I think to Silver to Silver had a much better second half and was driving up them and forcing them out of position but yeah no I don't necessarily agree with the the Jensen argument you must have a, a reply to that, David. Yeah, I can see why he's talking. Why Jake doesn't agree because he's talking about like the limitations of four three three. Do you know when you're narrow and the, that wide forward has to do so much work getting back wide and like joining in with Dalsgaard and it was Fosu. I, I did mention it a little bit. I think Fosu struggled with his position and it's it's hard to play that position because you have to you have to either press and then you have to know when to drop and help your right back out. And I think he did neither. 
And then Jensen is the deepest player, so he has to stay behind the ball. It, it just didn't work. I think Yanelt's much better at probably coordinating with whoever's in front of him, which is normally Mbemo on that right-hand side. And then also knowing when to get close to Dalsgaard or when to sit in the middle. So it pays his goal. One of them, he just got beyond Jensen far too easily. He actually just spun him. It's a bit of a mismatch size-wise. And then he just curled one into the bottom corner past Rea. So, yeah, there's a couple of things. Sim- yeah, I do I do get what Jake's saying. He didn't. He doesn't seem to... It's more like how you're apportioning blame and... I didn't, uh, yeah, probably a bit harsh saying it's all Jensen, but I think with Janelle there and the the game didn't turn just because of Janelle, but I think things didn't happen once Janelle is there. And that's a, that's probably a symptom of how he's better in that position and how the team probably changed its shape as well. I think we should move on and talk about the game on Wednesday, the 3-2 win versus Bristol. So again, do you want to, um, do you want to talk us through this game, David, and just uh, set it out from your perspective? Uh, yeah, so we saw a few of the things um, we've just mentioned, really. Like, Bristol started really well, like quickly. Um, Edmondson out on the left wing, sorry, Edwards on the left wing was pretty rampant early on it looks like they said to him just go at Dalsgaard early and try and get him behind and then he was on the right wing for a little bit as well um yeah they, they just started really well and that's what that's why I think um that question earlier is quite insightful the one who's something asked about um our team starting better against Brentford now because Bristol started well they're, they're a pretty awful team Bristol this season they're not great at all but that was a good performance from them and they got their early goal um this time it was a free kick set piece coming in from the right um, you mentioned it, Jake, earlier, just everyone missing that first that first contact. And that's where Brentford are useless, I think. And it's harsh to say useless, but if we don't make that first contact, what goes on after that is is anybody's game. We're, we're not good at that second ball, and that's the one that's going in. So if we don't hit it first time, if it's not cleared in that first instant, that's what Janssen's really good at, getting onto that, that first contact, getting rid of the ball. If, if the ball comes in and it's missed or, or Pinnock gets pulled out of the way of where that first zone is, it just it can fall to anyone and we're being punished a little bit by that. So we'll probably be um, unproportionally punished at the moment for those those balls in. But it was a free kick from Hunt, just went back to the back post and Vinan was there to, to crash at home. And it looks really messy and it looks like there's a big, big problem. But I think that is more smart play from the opposition, just trying to get it away from Pinnock and... Um, Wickham did it a little bit as well with Musquay at the bat post, Admiral Musquay. Um, so, yeah, it didn't start well. And Bristol's uh, sort of in possession were really good. Um, they moved the ball wide. They tried to attack us down the wings, got some good crosses in, got a few shots away. And it took us a while to settle, actually. But when we did, um, yeah, it, Bristol just couldn't live with us in any in any stretch. Like Just our midfield. Jensen and Yanel combining together were really good. Um yeah, their little combination play and then freeing Fossil on the right. I think we exploited Bristol's bad defenders. Alfie Mawson's there. Mariapa was on the left back position. Uh, he's right footed, so he struggled a little bit. Um, Callas was caught out by Tony spinning in for the goal. It, in the end, I think we're just a much better team from them and the goal showed. But yeah, it was a little bit scary at first. I think if they got a second in that spell where they were good, then we could have been in a bit more trouble. But um, yeah, our quality showed in the end. How about you, Jake? What did you make of the game? I definitely agree with David's points. I think we just found extra gears, to be honest, and we just took it up a notch. And I think Jensen is, I know we've mentioned him playing as the deep liar, but it's so much better as an eight. He did it on Swansea as well. He's just so brilliant at sliding players down in, down the sides of fullbacks or on the blind side of centre-back. So I think he's excellent at that. I think one thing that Frank did switch was Canos tucked over into the right-hand side to tuck in alongside the full-back. Canos tends to be a bit more 
of a traditional that winger system where he will drop in and cover. So I think he was really good at coming into them pockets of space. I think Bristol this year just one of the most unfortunate teams in the league. Like injury after injury this season and to some big players to them as well. So they, yeah, they just looked void of ideas eventually. And maybe a late run at the playoffs for them potentially if they're looking. But I think the injuries are just catching up with them this year and. It's just unfortunate, really, and I think we had that extra gear, took it up a notch, got two goals ahead, and then took off it off the gas again. Had a few B-team players come on, get Winston Reid into the game for the first time, and it was just pretty plain sailing from there, to be fair. I think we were very, very good, and thoroughly deserving of our three goals. Maybe not the two conceded, there's always improvements for them, but we were very good yesterday, and just in control. I never felt like we were particularly under much pressure or strain throughout the game. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this notion of, you know, finding another gear because I feel as though there's almost like parallels between what happened um, with Leeds trying to get out of the championship and what's happening with Brentford in the sense that, you know, you have a season where you probably deserve to go up but ended up losing out in the playoffs. Um, And now you're coming back in the season afterwards and you're looking really good for another tilt at, at promotion um, but this time it seems as though you have learned lessons from those those games at the end of last season where you just couldn't put games away where you were feeling the pressure do you do you feel as though Brentford are in a much better position on, on that front Jake? Oh 100% yeah um, I have someone a friend that was in industry that did a study on the use of expected goals for and against and there are only two teams in history that have better ex- or I think there are only two teams that have the best XG for and against in the league that haven't been promoted with Leeds and Brentford in the two seasons. They were the only two teams that didn't get there. And at the end of the day, I, I'm a massive believer of the numbers and the stats. And I think it's a case of just keep it going. It's I think we had it after League One where we missed out in the playoff final. And the, the alleged story is Benham came down and told them, none of you being sold, we go again. So then again, the same situation here is the championship. Yeah, we missed out, but if if the money comes in for some of them, like we did with Watkins and Manrama, we go by better. Tony comes in and has already scored 20 goals this season. You know, and it's that process of, I think Frank's got them. We've been more rigid, we've been more methodical this year, but we are, and that mentality shifted. Dave might know from being an older Brentford fan is dealing with, well, if we took a 1-0 lead in, <laughs> <laughs> if we took a 1-0 lead in the Warburton era, you knew we had to score three or four more to make sure that we won it. Now I feel comfortable with a 1-0 lead and that mentality shift more than anything. You bring someone like Janssen in, who is a born leader, Winston Reid, who is captain, or was captain of West Ham until horrific knee injuries. Goddard, who's 27, who comes in off the back of very good seasons in Sweden. That whole shift of the club's changed. It's no longer we're buying talent to produce. We're not playing games to blow teams away. We're playing to win, buying players to fit that winning mentality. And I think that's what I mean about gear going up gears, is that we are very different, but it's very good to see. And it's all cliches and it's all... Mm-hmm. Not analysis, it's just talking in football speak. No cliches here, Jake, please. (laughs) (laughs) You you can see it in the team and the way we are and how we set up and go about our business. We've looked very, very good and just assured in ourselves. And we're now nearly 20 unbeaten, potentially. And it doesn't feel like we should have lost any of them 20. And that confidence just keeps going and going. And 
I think Will did Will also did a brilliant thing with the XG charts. They were brilliant, and it highlighted that we've just dominated pretty much most of the games we've been in, and we've looked assured in ourselves. So hopefully the good times keep rolling, and come the come April May time, we, we can have a more positive discussion about this. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, all you have to do is put the ball in the back of the net. So, David, yes. what do you what do you make of what do you make of what um, Jake's saying there? Well, we've just got this never say die attitude, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, yeah, he's bang on. It's um, I, I think overall, I, I think the the parallels with Leeds are really interesting. Um, I, I guess when you've when you've gone through such disappointment, like the Leeds thing was obviously everyone saw it and everyone was laughing and mocking. But as a team and a group, to to take that on board and then use that as um, as positive for the next season is just so powerful. So Brentford are really just doing that, I think the core of this group is still here. Um, they lost the playoffs. They just used that as a as something to cling on to, that we need to go better this time. But then I think once you deal with something like losing in the playoff final, going behind in a single match isn't actually an issue. And I think that's something Brentford have developed this year, just a greater resilience when they're going behind. And it's all, I guess it's all about like good coaching to a high level, like the game state stuff. Like what, what, what's the score of this game? Brentford are just so dominant when the, the game is drawing. And then even when we're winning, we're dominant. And then when we're losing, we're dominant. So playing the game offensively well, whenever at any stage, at any scoreline is is just what they're trained to do. Like, don't worry if they get if you're losing, if you're 2-0 down, doesn't really matter. If you're 3-0 down, doesn't matter. If you're 1-0 down or if it's 0-0, just keep doing your stuff. And that's where Frank is yeah, easily like the best coach we've ever had because he's been able to to forget the scoreline and get this team to play and do whatever they need to do. And we, we're just seeing it um, game after game now. So... Long may it continue. Gosh, how many cliches are in there? I don't know, I think there's a few. Yeah, I, I think to add, on, to add on to Dave's point, I think big thing for us was last year is if you bear in mind the context of the season, when the season restarted, we were 10, 15 points behind the top two. And I think Mick McCarthy did it in the commentary. He was like, this Brentford team had got so close. Like if they had lost the first game and lost the seventh game, you know, we'd be praising them for being so close. Just because they lost the last two back-to-back didn't mean the, the season changed anymore. We were in touching distance of the top two where we hadn't been all year. It's vital to realise that we weren't there. If Obviously, this year is completely different because we're up there. We've been in the top two. We're now in a position to lose. But last year, it was, we had nothing to lose. It's We met, went on a miracle run of eight wins in a row and happened to get within touching distance, within a point. Yes, it was bitterly disappointing, but look at like, across the whole season. Birmingham, that first game of the year, we lost by a twenty oh an eighteen yard header, which happened to fly in past Raya. There was draws in there against teams that we shouldn't have drawn against. So you can use that as the motivation and stuff. You did so well to get there, nearly. Yeah, we fell at the final hurdle, but let's go again. It's the next step now. Can we take it further? Can you beat last year? And I think that mentality is a massive thing of this team, and it's been great to see this year. Like someone like Canos come from the brink of an ACL from he was playing really turgid that first couple of weeks of the season. He wasn't good. To now, he's been flying these last couple of months. To Silva's growing into the season. Tony's already on 20 goals. It's incredible to see, you know, this side just going from strength to strength and still be 20 unbeaten, which is, <laughs> like, you know, it's brilliant to see. And, yeah, fingers crossed, though. Well, in the in the course of the last answer, you mentioned Winston Reid, um, which, of course, 
uh, means we should move on to talk about the transfer window that, that Brentford have had. Um, David, do you want to talk us through what happened at Brentford in the in the transfer window? Uh, yeah, so Neil sent in just a brief message saying, Winston Reid, what the actual fuck? And uh, I guess uh, I think everyone just shares that sentiment. Like a few of my friends messaged me and said, um, yeah, I was just saying, like if there was anyone we could look around the world, any league, any place, any players for who we bring in in January, Winston Reid would be the last player we think of. And that's just, yeah, that, it's just so Brentford, isn't it? Um, but yeah, Winston Reid's come in, uh, played in MLS, not really played much in the last few years. Um, there's a link between Frank and um, like youth Danish football. Uh, he's a Danish speaker, so I think there's a bit of a tie-in there. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, on the face of it, it seems like a weird signing, but I, actually I think um, there's something missing from, probably something a little bit missing from the Brentford dressing room with Pontus missing, with Norgard missing, a little bit in the leadership, like the red um, aggression, energy, like just something that... They might have seen that Winston Reid can fill. And yeah, so it, it could prove to be just really, a really astute short-term loan that um, plugs a hole that we're missing. Um, but yeah, on the incoming side, it's it's just um, it's just Reid. So it just shows that they're, they're, they're quite happy with a lot of what else is going on in the squad. Um, Force has covered for Tony. Um, they're happy with what's out wide. Um, people moving around to positions and just filling in, especially the defensive areas, which is quite interesting because everyone's pretty desperate to see another winger in um well a lot of that's the kind of talk you see but the, um, the club and the, the dofs are obviously happy with what they've got so it's really it's interesting to see that it's reed's the only person to come in um outgoings are pretty much there's not really too much exciting going on in the outgoings dom thompson went out to swindon pretty early on uh Dervis Sogdu came back and then went straight out again to galatasaray he he looks like i'd be yeah it's I'd like to see him at Brentford, but it's becoming less and less likely that he has a career here. Who knows? Who knows? And then some of the B teamers went out to Grimsby at Joe Adams, I think. But yeah, it was a fairly quiet window. And I think it's probably indicative of how Brentford are a bit more settled and happy with the squad as a whole than a lot of other clubs. Yeah, Jack, I'm interested to hear your take on on where the Brentford squad is right now. How do you look at that squad after the window? You're happy with with the the squad that Frank has to work with going into this promotion race. Oh yeah, absolutely. We we were third in the league. Like <laughs> the squad was doing, it must have been doing something right at the time. And I think we were playing very well. I do think we are a bit light bodied in places. If you across the board, I know it would have been nice to have seen a few reinforcements. But we also know from the directors of football, January is a premium market. We're not going to pay five, ten, fifteen million pounds to buy depth because we feel we need to. I was looking at Reed's numbers for the year and I look at it and they're really not spectacular on another level. But they were the first games he played in. He played 12 games in the first, for the first time in two years after the horrific knee injuries he's had. I think he's not assigning for his football at the moment, but again, I think Dave mentioned it brilliantly with the what we need, a Janssen, a leader, someone in that dressing room that's done it before. He's won promotion with West Ham previously through the playoffs and... Someone that comes in, yes, he's also Danish, so it also ticks a lot of boxes for the Brentford way. So I, I'm happy with where we're at. Everyone would love to see sign-ins and splashing millions and players and building something, but I think we've got an incredibly good squad and I don't think we'd sacrifice everything that we need to for the sake of maybe one or two bodies that might be discontent come the summer because they're not playing. No, I, think I think one we haven't mentioned was Goddard's turn into a permanent 
which is very good, and getting him officially signed up. I don't know if that was we've triggered that. It was an obligation that we had to do it for finances, financial reasons. So yeah, I, I think we're in a good position. Keep going, and we'll see what happens. Where, where do you think that the weak spots in the squad are? You've mentioned that you think there's a bit of um, the, the, the squad's a bit light in certain places. Where are those places? I'd say left back. I, I do concern if Henry does pull up and go down injured. We well, got to bear in mind before last season, that's the first full season he played in a Brentfordshire. The seasons before that, we had hardly seen him. He just get his shoulder. He came with when he was injured. He did his ankle, his arms, his legs were all falling apart pretty much for the first two years of his Brentford career. But now, obviously, he's probably, if not the best fullback in the league. So if he goes down, what do we do? Do we switch up to the back three where Dalsgaard comes around and plays as a right centre-back and we go to that more 3-4-3 three, three, three system that we've played before? Not sure. So that is a concern. But then do we have someone in the B team potentially step up? I don't know. From, from memory, there might be one or two in there that are snuck away. Or I know Madsbeck has played at fullback before. And initially, when he joined, Brentford came in as a wheel. So I'm sure he's pretty comfortable slotting in in that left-back slot. So, yeah, we, I think we're comfortable. The, the, that left-back's the big concern if Henry goes down, but he has shown to be over-reliable. Other than a red card against Swansea in a playoffs, he's not missed a game since, really. So I think we're okay now. Hope, just yeah, Hopefully he doesn't get injured. And if we do, I think Frank's pragmatic, pragmatic enough to change it. I was just going to say, David, what do you, what's your take on the um, on the spaces that, that are probably there in the in the squad? I think there's a few more than Jake's um, letting on, but it probably holes that could be filled with a bit of a tinkering. But I, I think we're still really light at centre back. We've got so many injuries there: Janssen, Ratchet, Good. Um, we're basically Reed isn't up to speed yet, so we've just got two centre backs in Pinnock and Sorensen, and then Reed to come in. I think that's why they were so desperate to get Reed on the pitch last night to get game time in his legs really quickly. Um, so three walking centre-backs at the moment before having to delve into the B team. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Left back's really light, yep. Yeah. I, I think it's more like left-footed left back in the mold of Rico Henry, but there's Gordon in the B team, which I think they might if anything happens to Henry and we do still want to play this system, it could be Gordon that steps up and plays there. Um, defensive midfield, we look light as well. Norgard's injured. I'm not sure when he's back. It's supposedly soon, but you just don't know with him until he starts actually playing regular minutes. It could be an issue again as well. And we saw in that first half against Wickham that we don't really have the right answer yet without Yanelt in the team. I think we're fudging a little bit there with Jensen, De Silva and Godos as a midfield. That's really light. Like size-wise, it's light. Um, the ground it can cover defensively in the box with numbers. We just look a really, we look a weaker team. Um, so yeah, there's a few, I think it's mainly that left side defensive midfield and centre-back, I'd say, we're a little bit weak. Let's go around the league now then and talk about the, the teams who you've done, who you think have done some good business Um who, who wants to kick off with this? David, do you want to go, do you want to go first? Who, who are the teams that you think have done the best business in, in this in this window? Good business or just lots of business. I don't know if they're, <laughs> two, they're the same things. Um, good business. I, I like Dykert Barnsley. He's coming from MLS. Um, he looks, he looks. yeah, if you watch some of his uh, movements back, he, he looks like, um, he reminds me of Haller, like so physically physical and dominant compared to everyone he plays, but he moves like, more like Tony. So, He's got the physicality, but he's 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 not lumbering. He he doesn't move in straight clunky lines. Like he he's agile, and um, it's hard with MLS because a lot of their goals are just one on ones and sort of poor defending. And there's lots of transitions just going back and forth. It's even more basketball-y than the championship. But he does look like a, a clever player. So if he settles in, that could be really interesting at Barnsley. And he could be worth <laughs> quite a pretty fortune. So Barnsley look clever there. But but Swansea, you can. It's really interesting actually because Swansea have got where they have. But you can tell by their. Are they doing a little bit of long term business now, or is this an acceptance that they've been quite lucky to get where they are with this squad? Um, Connor Hurahan's coming on loan. Um, Morgan Whitaker's joined from Derby. They've brought Freeman in from Swindon. And then from the MLS, they've brought Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola. So they've done loads to their squad. I don't know how much, how many of those players are going to play, but they've tried to fill in midfield, um, up front, wide, and other, other wide players as well. So there's lots of er- uh, lots of corrections they're trying to make. And yeah, it's just, it's just um, yeah, those those ones stand out to me. I think Rotherham actually, something I, I like, I like Rotherham a lot actually. Giles at left wing back on loan is really clever. And Lewis Wing from Borough. That stands out for me. I think those are shrewd signings, and Rotherham are just gonna—they're just gonna steam away from those relegation spots. They're—they're a—they're a mid-table, lower, just below, just outside the, the playoff team um, for sure. How about you, Jake? What, what's uh, the teams that you've or the signings that you've got your eye on this window? Well, for me, although they're not doing as well this season, I think Cardiff have—they've raided the lower league. Lower leagues even have been really good. I think Max Waters has probably been by far and away. Probably the best player, striker in League Two this season, and it's a really nice pickup. Slight concern that its expected numbers were under where they should be. I think it was not 0.4, 0.5 expected goals per ninety, whereas his goal scoring was only for one. So I think we'll see a drop off from him at some point. But and, uh, and the way Harris was utilising him in that first couple of games, playing him wide left and out wide right, it's not where he's best. He's best playing through the middle as a traditional number nine and. 
I think maybe Mick McCarthy, we've seen the quotes from Mick McCarthy about Bakuna. He's not a right back, he's an attacking midfielder apparently. So, But the other one for me that I highlighted was Perry Inji. Like, by far, I'm surprised it's taken the crew fullbacks this long to get up to the championship. And I'll touch on the Blackburn one in a bit, but both electric players, incredibly good defensively, incredibly good going forward. It's just a place how quickly do they slot in. Harris, again, depends how the card and system works. If Harris is the one that's bought them and now Mick McCarthy's come in, are they necessarily going to play the playing time? But I think two really good bits of business, I think, Hopefully we'll take the league by storm. Blackburn, another one with Pickering. I know he's not going to come in officially till the summer, but that's a really, really good pickup for, I think the rumoured fee was half a million, if that, which is a really good bit of business for someone that's captained his club side. He's got all the technical qualities, a bit undersized for for his position and potentially looking at getting turns, but then Henry is nowhere near as big either, like in terms of actual physicality. So... Now I'm, I'm excited. Blackburn and Cardiff for me it made some really good bits of business there, and we'll be interested to see how they they go going forward. Yeah, it should be uh, it should be fun seeing how the the championship uh, unfolds for the rest of the season. It is one of the most fun leagues in the world, I think, and you know I do I do miss Leeds not being in it anymore. Um, and I think this might be a good point for us to shift actually to talk a little bit about. Uh, the future. What we've we've talked about Brentford having a really good chance this season of having a tilt at promotion, uh, and so David, you wanted to have a bit of a conversation about um, how how I mentioned it before. Leeds are almost a year ahead of Brentford; they're almost on the path um, this season before Brentford are. So um, obviously, there's, there's there's an interesting project unfolding, um, and it's a long term plan, which is the same as what's going on at Leeds. So, uh, David, what did you want to say about about this this sort of parallel between Leeds and, and Brentford? Yeah, I find it fascinating. I think. Um, uh, there's just so many similarities just dealing with huge disappointments getting there being one of the best teams in the league and just missing out to teams that aren't as good as you and then eventually going up and then just the next phase as well just um players you were sure of in the championship and seeing how they perform in the Premier League because there's different ways to do it we've all seen Fulham a few years ago just splurge lots of money then we've seen a little bit of um maybe Sheffield United get a little bit slightly lucky with the core squad that they had and then they age really quickly and not make the adjustments quick enough and then you're kind of playing a little bit of catch-up and then there's West Brom not doing enough to alter your team and not being strong enough anyway to cope so I just think Leeds is what Brentford will be looking at in terms of um, just the right tweaks and then I think there's similarities as well because they've trusted a, a big core and you'll know this yourself John like a big core of the championship minutes have gone up into the Premier League as well so we're seeing how what does what does being at the top of the championship and being the best in the championship look like in terms of the Premier League? And I, I think it's not where it used to be just bottom feeders now. It's actually there's a bit of a bit more of a middling if you're that good in the championship. So we've we're on the up. We've been building for a few years now. We've got a lot of um a lot of qualities throughout the team. We defend well, we, we outscore most of our opposition. How does that translate? And then the wider bit is is there major surgery that needs to be done in this squad, or are we actually looking at a squad that is uh pretty much ready to go with a couple of adjustments for the Premier League and I think it's just fascinating watching Leeds because I think they're there it's rolled out in front of us to see what that looks like yeah really fascinating questions and I think my response my gut response would be try and work it, it, obviously with Marcelo Bielsa it's never going to be the case that he's going to switch up his um his 
tactical approach. And his his approach has always been, we are going to play the system that we play because it gets the best best out of the players that we have. He's never going to be one of those managers who is going to tinker with tactics depending on which players he's got. He realises that he can get more out of his players by playing a, 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 a system of football which allows players who maybe aren't quite so good as, as some of the elite players in the Premier League space and time to be able to build up in ways that actually allows them to get the ball into dangerous areas and get the team into dangerous areas at the same time as the ball. For me, that's the basis of everything that he does. It's about winning the ball back and then getting the ball and the team at the right time in those dangerous areas. And he's still doing that in, in the Premier League. And, you know, we've we've seen the media sort of constantly tearing their hair out over how to approach Leeds from a narratival perspective because they want to they want to build narratives and narratives are always sort of hung on I think runs of form so good runs of form bad runs of form and I think the problem is with with Leeds they see a, a team that will just get completely dismembered by an opposition and they want to be like oh, this team is on a bad run of form now and then the next week Leeds will beat a team who they will expect to the, the media will have expected to, to lose so I guess Taking that as a framework, the question is, what do you think that Thomas Frank is going to do any differently in the Premier League to what he's doing now? And the differences we've seen for Leeds have been that in the Championship, because we were such a dominant side in the same way that you are, we're just constantly keeping the ball and able to work through any team that tries to be expansive against us or even largely presses in higher areas, uh, with the exception of Barnsley, it turns out. But... um, and so the result was that teams realised the best chance they had of getting points off Leeds was sitting deep, hitting them on the counter-attack. Um, obviously, in the Premier League, that's not going to happen because the the, 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 play, the teams that we're playing against are, are much better. And so for me, the, the issues have come primarily in our inability to protect the ball in the same way that we were in the Championship. Um, we are not... So Leeds like to build up through the fullback areas and in the wide areas uh, with the central players sort of facilitating that movement down the, whichever wing it's going down. We are not good enough protecting the, the ball, a ball retention, to be able to get through um, th- those sort of phases of play. And the problem then is is that you end up doing defensive transition a lot. And when you're doing a man-marking defensive transition as Leeds are, we get picked off all the time. So I, di- I guess I didn't realise going into the Premier League how much we had carried players like um, Gianni Alioski. And you're going to hate me for saying this, David, but to a certain extent, Stuart Dallas. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the ball retention and progression, um, now Dallas has been great for us. He, like, for example, he was the man of the match against Leicester. Um, so there's certain games where if we can play him in, as a midfielder, he does the defensive work and is able to do uh, enough of the progressive work that it's fine. But there's other games where, uh, particularly I think where he's playing in a, a left back position, where he's not good enough at doing the, the, the sort of tight ball control build up that we need to do to get through the initial press to then move the, the ball into a different phase of play. Um, and so I, I suppose... My question then is that you, it, you, it's very difficult to sort of look at players in terms of like intrinsic talent and try and work out if they are or aren't good enough. The, the only way you can really answer these questions is to what extent are these guys being carried by the system and to what extent does the system get carried a little bit by, by these guys? And the, the, the classic counter example, I think, is someone like Pat Bamford, who in the championship where he's been expected to play a role where he's getting a lot of big chances in a lot of generally tight spaces where he's closely marked by um, centre-backs. Um, he probably wasn't as, as deadly as he's been in the Premier League where he's given a bit more space and time t- 
space to run into uh, and a space to, to sort of work away shots. And he's been really good this season. Now, obviously, a set part of that is to do with the fact that in all of these situations, um, you're going to see players over or underperforming xg just as a random variance um but i think there's definitely something in in the 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 way that the game is now more open for him that he's now playing as as more of a quote-unquote lone striker often chasing the ball down in defensive situations it's working out for him as well he can get i describe him as a front foot striker and so he's um he's gonna he's he he really likes it when the ball is is in front of him and he's going to run onto the shot um those are the, the 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 goals that he's really good at scoring so i suppose my advice to you guys is because we're going to approach this now I think from a Brentford point of view and say right which players do we think are, are up there and which do we think are off it's just very much about thinking like how important how important is the system to the way that they play how will that system change when you go into the Premier League um, and and how um, how much can you maybe tweak the system to suit certain players as well so Leeds now play a lot more direct than they than they used to you'll see Leeds going long way more this season than they did last season because they were just so comfortable at playing out the back in the championship and often teams just sat back anyway so the, you know the transition phase and then attacking sense wasn't really that important um, in a lot of games as well so sorry that's a bit of a monologue for me but um, should we jump then into well, firstly, let's just say, well, how how does what I've just said make you feel about uh, the the prospect of playing in the in the Premier League, David? It, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think um, systems are systems, but players within them make them, and then they either make them work or they don't make them work. And does the I guess the the thing I'm thinking is, does the system become more more or less not obsolete but ineffective at a different level, and is it the same? And and then is that is that exposing the players? And I, I think this is where it's really interesting with Brentford because we have a system and it's it's fundamental to the way we play. But then is that going to work up against much better opposition? It's it, probably not. We're probably going to lose as we did in the cup game uh, against Spurs. Um, we are going to ex- be exposed to Harry Kane and Sun Min Yun on the break. And it's not just us that they're destroying. It's they're they're beating teams like Chelsea and Man United with that system. So, yeah, it's. I, I think you have to understand where you are, what level you're at, and then is it going to be good enough for basically survival or mid table or or where you'd where it would put you. And then, I, I, yeah, I just think it's interesting to look at these players and look at who could step up into that, and then whether they whether they could be playing in maybe a different system or this system at, at another level. But yeah, no, your your points are really interesting. So I think. As time is running on, let's move on to that thought experiment that you've posed. So the thought experiment is basically this. In a hypothetical world where Brentford have been promoted and we're assessing the playing team ready for next season, let's go through the core of Brentford's first team in a quick fire. Yes or no from David and Jake and whether they play serious minutes in the in the Premier League, which is, I guess... You've put fifteen hundred minutes, but I guess anything over a thousand minutes. Mm. So, yeah, anything over a thousand minutes would be would be good. And then we can dis we can discuss the disagreement. So, are you both you guys both ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, go ahead. So, let's start with David Raya. Um, is he a serious Premier League player, David? Yes. And Jake? Yes. Okay. So you've you've you we, we began this podcast actually talking about how uh, Raya does have um does have a few inefficiencies as a goalkeeper but you're both happy that that he would be okay in in that raised um in that raised competition I I think as you mentioned the Premier League is just different uh, with the Bamford argument of there's more time there's more space and I think Ray's technical quality shine through the championship's a bit more physical the hustle and bustle we'll get boxed out by a six foot five centre back and shoved off the ball whereas in the, the Premier League there's not very many of that mould 
So I think he's more is one of them that's just good enough. He should be probably be playing Premier League football if he could. That's probably the quality too, but is obviously just stuck in the championship at the moment. And he'll obviously be doing a lot more shot stopping, you would think, in the Premier League than he is now as well. So I mean what what extent do you think that the role will change for him in terms of um, in terms of the, just the, the shots he's facing and the, the work he's expected to do? I mean, that comes start, starts with, and you mentioned it about systems with the defensive side. I think we're a lot more rigid than we normally have been and we're um, a lot more compact to break down. I did it over the summer. Our XG last year was the le- or against was the lowest it had ever been and to pre-Bentley days and, all of the, and Button as well in the time. I think he's one of those, a bit like Mendy is at Chelsea, or was it uh, before he came to Chelsea, he was very good at dealing with what he dealt with and what he has to deal with. I think if Raya had to face more, I think he'd probably, he probably seems to have a very good technical skill set with his mechanics. His feet, his feet, footwork is really good. He's got a very good save on him when it getting up to the corners and stuff. The only thing he really lacks was is his height and the physical side of things when he's getting pushed around. I think he's very good at coming out for that high claim. We saw it against Swansea in the playoff final. He came out brilliantly, read it perfectly. I think he's had a bit of his confidence knocked with the whole playoff final a bit with that Fulham. And, but nine times out of ten, his position is fine. That Will Vokes one against Cardiff again. Nine times out of ten, that ball goes through to him. He's got time to take a touch and pull it back into a dangerous area. Will Vokes just happened to hit it first time and put it into the goal. It's a freak instance. So no, I think he's one of them. I think he's very good at dealing with what he has to deal with in front of him. I think our defensive system's good enough to limit the damage to what we have to face. And I think it's just a case of, like that Mendy example I made, he'll just deal with the shots he has to. Um, Because I think defensively we'll be solid enough to protect ourselves. So let's carry on through this uh, list then. Henrik Dalsgaard, David. Uh, Dalsgaard is a no from me. And Jake? I've said yes for this. Okay, so David, why do you not want Dalsgaard in the in the Premier League? Well, I think I think not want is um, uh, a different. You've a said difficult... it now, David. You can't. You can't <laughs> it's a harsh accusation. <laughs> no, my, my reasoning with Dalsgaard is that I think um, I'm not sure his body's got another season in the Premier League at a high level, and then I also think as well from the right back, I'm not sure. I think you probably want a little bit of asymmetry where the left back is Rico and he is offensive, but the right back. I, I think they'll want a little bit more recovery pace and a little bit more physicality and just a little bit more athleticism there. I'm not sure it would just be... I, th- I think if Rico's our only outlet from the wide area as a winger, like just sort of come backing up from left-back position, I think we could get found out. So I think they'd look to get someone maybe mid-20s who's a little bit more offensive as well as being strong defensively. That's my feeling with Dalsgaard. Not Nothing against him. I love um, Henrik, but I just think there's... You've, a, a you've suggested there. in the past that he could... Pot- potentially be a centre-back yeah do you think there's any chance of that more likely than um more likely than playing right back yes yeah definitely mm. ethan pinnock david a resounding yes with ethan yeah jake yep yeah, same for here i just want to touch on the dallas card point a bit of i think the way we, the way we play currently is with that defensive with henry is the outlet we transition more into that three four three anyway i think dallas card in the last two three years has reduced He's going forward. His heat map shows it massively. If he was one of them players that would cross, cross, cross constantly. Whereas now he slots in and we play more of a back three, which means one can engage and two can cover. And I think that's what makes us has made us so much defensively more solid. We have to silver out as our right side outlet, who will overload and play on that right side as a winger almost most times. Whereas I now think with we need that solidity with Dalsgaard. 
do I think he's the answer? No, I think for a stopgap, if we go up for a year, keep the system consistent, play in the same way, and then look to maybe replace him in the summer. It's not a case of, let's get rid now. I think for a year or two, he's an experienced pro in that side that has been there and done that with Frank and knows the way we want to play. And I think it's vital to our defensive structure and our transitional play is that we have that free at the back. And that's where the Pinnock and the and when we get onto him, Janssen argument comes in. Them three are a really solid back back three option. And that's what we need. Uh, Madsbeck Sorensen. David. Uh I've said yes on Madsbeck, yep. And Jake? I've said no. I don't think he's technically sound enough to play at the Premier League level. I think his ball progression is not very good. I think he's pretty static and tends to go laterally instead of looking to play forward. He's not in the Tarkovsky mold where he'll run forward and bring it out of defence. He's not in the Janssen mold where he's very solid defensively. I think he's just a, a solid centre-back. He's, he's good at it, but he's not excellent at it, and I think he'd get found out technically at the Premier mm. League level. Rico Henry, a player that I would love to have had at Leeds. Um, how are we feeling about him, David? Oh, yeah, he's a big yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing the same from you, Jake? Yeah, a massive 100% mm. yes. And now the player who we've already argued a little bit about in this in this episode, Vitaly Yanel. Uh, David, you're going for yes? Yeah, he's a big yes for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jake, you're a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more on, on the fence about this, but how are you coming down on him? I would say yes, but as a backup. I think the hype around him this year has been overblown. I don't think he's been as good as people make out. I think I've, I did the numbers on him earlier. Someone messaged me asking about his passing forward numbers because they thought he always passes backwards. He's on average, so passes per 90, he's making 30 passes with 48, 49.8% of them going laterally. 28.9% of them going forward and 21% of them going backwards. He's for me, he's, and then so I compare that to Norgard for reference. Norgard's making 42 passes per 90 minutes on the pitch. 40% of them go forward, 12.8% of them go, go backwards, and 46.7% go sideways. For me, that massive difference in the forward passing numbers, you know, it's just too, isn't adventurous enough in, posi- in possession for what we need in that defensive mid-sleeve slot. Yes, he's really good defensively and out of possession. I think he's a really good screen. But we've had to change the way we build up this year. We've had to slot in and play a two and a one instead of just a one like Norgard typically would. Because you're not ball-playing ability is not good enough. We've had it, we've seen it where that's then limited our progressive play because Jensen's had to drop in to play that two-one and we've had to go wide straight away. Whereas typically Norgard's very good at getting into that pocket, picking it up and bringing us forward. I think the big thing as well, he's not very good at finding himself space. You know, it's very static and flat-footed. And so when he receives the ball, he receives it with his back towards goal or back back to it. So he has to then try and half-turn. But by that point, most teams use that as a pressing trigger. And especially when you're playing in the Premier League, you think, other than maybe a Burnley being an exception to that rule, every team presses. Newcastle may be also an exception to that. And like that he'll get found out. You can't have such obvious technical flaws and mechanics. that, And that's why I just think Norgard is steps above him. Don't get me wrong, you know, it's done brilliantly to step in, coming into England for the first time. But then question marks over his technical ability and we look worse in the build-up phase with him in there. And why, when we have the Jensen conversation of, I prefer Jensen because he's just neater. He's better on the ball. He can get himself free. He can progress his play. We don't have to drop someone else in alongside him. Maybe not as good defensively, but a much better ball player. We've now got a series of players who you've both agreed 
are good enough for the Premier League. So you've gone with yes, both gone with yeses for Matthias Jensen, Josh De Silva, Brian and Bemo, and Ivan Tony. I don't think any surprises there. But we come to, I think the uh, the curate's egg of of Brentford at the moment, Sergi Canos. Um, now, David, I know that you're a bit of a, a fan of Canos, really. Um, so I'm guessing you're going yes on this one. Yeah, I've gone yes on this one. Yeah, so I, I think, um, I think the reason I've gone yes on Sergi is because the last the last ten fifteen games, I think we've seen him just marry up, like just being incredible defensively with just just fitness and and being a threat in attack and that's what we weren't seeing from him previously when he was recovering from his injury and uh he's he's putting in performances now which you can just see uh, exceed like championship level um i think his touch on the switch of ball plays really good just bringing the ball down and then getting moving straight away um he's 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 creating chances for the teammates um if he wants to get a shot away these are the bits he needs to work on he needs to be more accurate with his shooting but then a lot of players do but no, I think now, I think it's more a case of if you look at Sergi, what would it cost to bring a player in like of his level? And you've already got that player. So I, I can see him growing again. And I think you just forget that he's only 23, 24 years old. So there's more to come from him. So um, at the beginning of the season, I'd probably be a bit more sceptical, but he's he's showing a fitness level now and um, and a forward play level, which is, yeah, I, I think he's good enough to step up again. And Jake, you've gone the other way on this one, right? Yeah, I was going to put tie these two points in together with Panos and Fosu. I look at the wingers that have just been relegated from the Premier League. Your David Brooks, your Sars, your Campwells, your Benaders. Do I think Canos and Fosu are better than any of them options? No. And how can then I justify saying they're Premier League quality when you look at the quality that's just come down? Obviously, it's, there's more to it than just a singular player in a system. What about, before you go too far, Jake, what would you say about those teams defensively? Like, those are some of the worst defensive teams we've seen. Like. Norwich and um, Bournemouth are really poor at the back oh no 100% and I, that's why it, it was more of an individual mm. point if I was looking at the wingers that came down from the Premier League last year can I say Canos and Fosu above any of them and I'd say no they're probably bottom two between them so then when you take that step up to the Premier League would they naturally be as quality no I think Canos massively relies on his shooting he's very much like Ben Rama he'll just continually shoot regardless of position, if it goes 15 yards over or goes into the top corner. I think that goal that Redney scored was probably the worst thing for his career because he keeps shooting regardless of position. And it's just the most infuriating thing. I think it was that card again, he had 10 shots. And I was like, really? 10 times you could have probably either cut it back to someone. Tony was probably free at the back post. But Ben Rama was the same. You have Every team has to have a player like that. But, and then Foss is the same in that situation. He came in as a backup. I think he's a very good backup player. But like you know, I think his stock has been massively blown up this year. I think he's been very good. But you bear in mind, last night was the first assist he registered all year. And the two goals he scored, the alleged two goals he scored at Wickham were the first two goals he had scored in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that whole stat of, yeah, we play better when he's in the team and we've won more with him in the team. It's just one of them of, I just don't think he would be quality enough very good backup and same with Canos and I look but I just couldn't with in good faith say they're good enough to step to the Premier League level I've not seen enough in them as of yet whereas when Buemo is the opposite I think he's got plenty of upside I think he's young he's got the physicality the defensive work rate's brilliant he works well in transition at both ends of the pitch his technical ability is incredibly good compared to the other two yes he continually shoots like the rest of them which is again just an obvious flaw in the system 
But then again, he is that one where he can cut back and go to the back post, like we did against Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth's got a lot more to his game, whereas Canos and Henry are now 23, 24, 25 between them. We're looking at there's probably better out there. And that's the whole reason. Nothing to take away from them. I think they're both incredibly good players this year, and they've been very good this year. Just not quite enough to justify for me Premier League quality. Yeah, David, you are thinking that Fosu is Premier League level, right? Uh, I think um, I think there's definitely more to come from him as well. And I think Jake's point about the players that have come down and is he better than those players? Um, I, th- I think it's a, it's a hard thing to level off because it's just circumstantial where these players are and which clubs they play for. And you're always going to find some good players bottlenecked in a lower league because good teams sometimes, bad teams go down with good players, like it just happens. So I don't think that's a fair comparison. Um, but no, I, I think what... I think what Brentford want from these players and then what they're investing in them now and then and then who's actually going to replace them. I, I think there'll be a couple of tweaks like to the right-wing area maybe and the left-wing area maybe. But I can still see these players being um, a part of the team in the next season. Yeah, yeah. And I think Fosu as well. So there's a few players in the not in the first 11 at the moment who um, you've both gone with yes on. So I'll just read those out. Um, so Christian Norgard, obviously good enough for the Premier League. Um, you've both gone yes on... Uh, Pontus Janssen and uh, Emiliano Marcondes as well. Um, there's then a few players who you've both gone no on, so I'll read those out too. So Winston Reid, you've both gone with no. Um, Charlie Good, you've gone with no. Luka Ratchic, both gone no. And Jan uh, Jamburek. Jan throw me in here. So the, the players that, that we need to discuss then are Saman Godos, um, Marcus Fors and Shandon Baptiste I think is that it oh, apart from Mads Roslev Rasmussen so let's start with um, let's start with Shandon Baptiste because I always think of Fosu and Baptiste as, as being very similar just because they, <laughs> they came from the same club right in the same window is that right something like that that was the yeah end. so both from Oxford yeah. and, they, and they both came in was it January last year or was it yeah, it was yeah three and a half million for right. the pair, I believe it was. Um, so let's talk about Baptiste because again, David, you've gone yes, and Jake, you've gone no. Mm. So who wants to who wants to argue their case first? <laughs> Jake, I reckon you go no because you've said no. Let's see why you think no. That's probably a good way to go. At this it's a case of I can't judge him enough. We've not seen enough of him. He's he's played a grand total on this from what you've put down, David. Is nine minutes this season. And then he spent the the other thousands on the injury table. It's not a case of I don't think he has the quality. It's a case of we just haven't seen it. How can we judge a player on his quality at this level when he hasn't even done it at, in or for the Premier League level when he hasn't done it at the Championship? That's my biggest case. Not that he was brilliant in League One, but his injury history is patchy to say the least. He spent he had that one burst at Oxford where he did very well. And then got the move to Brentford, but then has been plagued by injury since. I, I kind of hoped that he would come in as the deputy to De Silva. He'd be a brilliant number two to him. And that's still the quality he has. But we've never seen it. And that's not down to the player himself. That's just unfortunate with injuries and his body breaking down. If come back to me again in a year's time and if he's played and him and De Silva are playing as two number eights and tearing the league up, then I'm happy to sit here and eat my words. But for now, I can't judge him without seeing him, especially at this level. David, respond. Uh, yes, my response. Uh, 
I think Baptiste, um, I, I think it, just thinking more about his Oxford stuff and um, what he was doing at that level, he's just got, he, basically the Premier League, all, a lot of the teams are, you're either a static midfielder or you're a midfielder that just breaks lines and you can dribble with the ball and you can you can do stuff under pressure and Baptiste has got all that. So you're pretty sure that he can, he's probably good enough from what I've seen to be a top championship player. Just give him a couple of years, he should be able to play in the Premier League. It's just whether he comes back from these injuries okay or not but yeah I think his all-round game he does have enough to step up so that's why I was going yes on him right let's rip through the the last few then so um Saman Kodos you've said yes David and um Jake you've said on the fence um Marcus Force you've said no David and and Jake said on the fence so what are, what's the deal with these two players for you David <laughs> so Godos I'll start with him yeah Godos I think is um Good enough for the Premier League. Yeah, I think the way he hits the ball, his positioning, um, his intelligence, the amount of positions he's played, his previous experience. Um, he looks like this is a level just below him. Fully fit and when he's ready, I think he can cause some damage at um, the Premier League level. Uh, I think he's going to be, yeah, probably quite a valuable player. And if anything, he could be the sort of heir to Mark Condes' throne of the last couple of years. Um, and also force. Well, force is... I just think Force's career just is going to be somewhere other than Brentford. I just don't think he's going to be around. There's not going to be the spaces for him to play enough. Um, I think he's still got a long way to go in his development. And I think a few goal spurts here and there have made him look a lot further in than he is. So, yeah, just I, I just don't think Force's long-term career is at Brentford. How do you respond to, to both of those players then, Jake? The Godos one's an interesting one this year. Obviously, he came in with a lot of background issues. The last two two and a bit years for him have been tricky with agent fiascos, joining us, not joining us, joining a French team, not joining the French team, going to Spain, then go, then signing for them and coming back again. All just seems like a player that's had a lot of baggage and a lot of issues on his off-field. I think he's coming to Brentford and I just, he's a drifter for me. He comes in, he comes in and out of games and you sometimes forget he's there or playing. I think he's an excellent work rate. He's really good on the ball. I don't disagree with any of the technical stuff Dave said about him. But he's just not there enough. Maybe again, like someone like Baptiste, the more he plays, the fitter he gets. Well, like Kano saw earlier in the season, the fitter he gets, the more quality we'll see from him. I trust our scouting staff and our directors of football to have signed a player that has that quality. I just don't think we've seen it yet in a Brentford shirt. And again, the whole argument of if I've not seen it in the Championship, how can we see it then go into a Premier League season? Is it somewhere that we can trust fully 100% to get there? And that, nothing against him again. I think he'll come good eventually. But how long and how patient can you be with a 27-year-old that's meant to be at the peak of his powers? Well, I refuse to end this podcast talking about Mads Rasmussen. So, you will just if you want to find out more about what the guys think about that, then you'll have to you'll have to talk to them. Jake doesn't think he's good enough, and uh, David does. So, I'll leave that as a teaser for you. But Jake, it's been absolutely uh, great having you on the podcast. Um, how can people find your stuff if they want to find out more about the things you're putting out? Absolutely, on Twitter it's at Bees Analytica. Uh, me and the Bees Tactical Account do a lot of stuff between each other. You'll see us retweet each other's work pretty frequently. At most points so if you want to look for it there we've also got the podcast on spotify apple apple music and youtube we have our channel up on there we also occasionally do the live streams which dave has kindly joined us in for a few games or for a few times when we've had to plug gaps so um can i just say thanks guys for having me it's been absolutely brilliant to chat brentford and 
It's been great to actually have a full Brentford chat for once instead of plugging it with other teams. So here we are at the end of a, another monthly episode. It's been great uh, chatting to you both. Um, I'm sure the, the listeners will really enjoy that. Um, for the listeners, do share the Bees Tactical page at Bees Tactical on Twitter. There's also a Substack at Substack, uh, sorry, at beestactical.substack.com and subscribe to the Patreon as well to help support the podcast and to get bonus material as well. And that's patreon.com forward slash Bees Tactical. So if you look for Bees Tactical, you'll probably find something on any of these uh, the, any of these platforms. On top of that, it's great if you can give us reviews um, wherever you get your podcasts because that will push them up the, the rankings, will make them more visible to people. So that's a really easy way of helping us out. And of course, there's a couple of flattering reviews from people who will be receiving their cash payments in due course. But we arrive at the end of the podcast. All that remains for me to do is to say thank you to David. Thanks for coming on, David. No problem, John. Yeah, lovely to chat to you. And thank you, Jake. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you all again next month. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.